Cheers. The old Lindsay can't come to the phone right now. Why? Because she's dead. That's why. I'm, I'm sorry, but you're eating there. And you're also getting dessert during lunch. So maybe think about your life. Yeah, I think that a pastor does not know that he wants to kill people the way you do. They do know that newborn babies are fucking boring, right? <laughs> Anne-Marie, if men's deodorant isn't working for you, you have bigger problems. Yeah, you might want to get your hormones checked out or some shit. <laughs> we are going so above and beyond bringing this podcast. Oh, okay. I'm like, oh, that came out two years ago. (laughs) Nobody had a gun to the back of your head saying, get your chicken sandwich. Yeah, wait for your chicken. You stupid bitch. I want to talk about Usher and his peen on the scene. It's green. Her waist is totally cinched. Whatever. That bitch wanted me to test his thyroid. I'm like, girl, I don't even test my own thyroid. (laughs) No. Thanks for ruining my dad's birthday, Genoa. I have a feeling your attitude already did. (gasps) Oh. I feel like I was sold goods that were salty and clammy and sour and not ladylike. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Lost sneezes go to die. That is a great question. Island of lost sneezes. I don't know if I'd love to live there or hate it. Hate it. I don't know, because you're like surrounded by little sneezes that don't have a home. Oh, now they're kind of cute. Okay. <laughs> Hi, Wigs. Hi, Wigs. Where, where, would you like to live on the island of lost sneezes? Write us. Let us know. Yeah, let us know your thoughts on the island of lost sneezes. Because we obviously differ it's over here. Adjacent to the island of lost socks. Oh, that I would be so angry about that island. That island is so cozy, though. Uh. Maybe a little stinky. Kind of stinky. Yeah. It's never a new sock that you lose. It's an old sock. Oh, that's true. She's a real old sock. That's what <laughs> I'm going to start calling people. Um, well, guys, uh, welcome to another episode of Wigs and Weiss. I'm Paul Crows. I'm Lindsay Harbert Silverman. We are coming to you live for us, not for you, from Beverly Glen, California. Um, it's not a place. It is it's a street and now everyone knows it's an area and they're going to come for you good luck um uh we are doing a little something special tonight uh as the sort of the year comes to a close 2017 um we thought why not do a little collection of our favorite segments Segments. and hopefully your favorite segments if not then you're gonna hate this episode (laughs) um you know, current events are great and all, but sometimes you just got to laugh at life. And so um, we each have a pop culture itch scratch for you mm-hmm. and a troll patrol. And um, I know it doesn't sound like much, but believe me. Oh, there's a lot going on here. a lot. And uh, you're going to laugh. You're going to cry. You're not going to cry. You're probably just going to laugh. Um, but, you know, if you need to cry. It's the end of the year. It's time and for it. You might be in your, your car. I love crying in my car. It's my favorite place to cry. And screaming in your car, apparently, too. I do. I, I love to. A lot happens in that car. Listen, if that car could talk. Boobaroo. Boobaroo. My, my baby boobaroo. Um, so we're not going to be flipping our wigs or popping our corks or anything like that, but uh, hopefully you'll stay tuned and enjoy. We know Thanksgiving was just last week, um, but we are going to fill you with so many fun facts, mm-hmm. I feel like, with this, that you're going to just go to your all your new Christmas parties, let's yeah, say, yeah. or holiday parties, I should say, um, and be able to tell people a lot of really, really fun stuff. So where would you like to begin, Lindsay? I'd like to begin with my trip. Oh, uh, so, as I mentioned, I live on Beverly Glen Canyon. Killer. Come and find me, bitches. I take a bat out at night, so good luck. Do you really? I do, because of the coyotes. Oh. I've never seen one, but... I feel so bad for the coyote. Well, listen, if they're going <laughs> to... Charlie is a snack. Yeah, that's true. And if they're going to go for my girl, I'm going to go for their skull. Oh, that is Mama Bear. Mm-hmm. Mama Burr. little fun story behind the bat, though. I was talking to Josh's cousins one family dinner, and I said, our neighbor saw a coyote, and I get scared now going outside. And um, cousin Rob just <laughs> takes a bat from like the backyard without saying a word, just hands it to me and I nod. And I, and you know, th- in that interaction that became my bat and that was how I was going to protect my family. I love that. Yeah. So now we have a bat. Good on anyway, you, cousin Rob. thanks cousin Rob. So my popped, not pop. Fuck. Here we go, guys. <laughs> uh, my troll patrol um, is 
comes from the Starbucks up in the Glen Center, which okay. I walk to most days. Um, my way of getting exercise is walking up a hill. You are really putting a target directly on where you live right now. You're walking distance from Starbucks on Beverly Glen. Not really. If, if you <laughs> oh, really now, think now, about it, now it's you're not. Really. <laughs> Stop. Just quit while you're here. Anyway, I go to the Starbucks pretty regularly. And um, it's a Starbucks. Like, what the fuck do you want? The people are nice. You know what you're getting. Um, and th- th- when people review a Starbucks, I'm like, what are you doing? Well, what? you should, uh, I would say this goes for all chains in general. Absolutely. You should have something that very specifically happened to you in that place. Yes. Which we know most trolls are not able to. No, no. no. See outside of their ridiculousness. No. So uh, I decided to do a little digging into the bucks and, uh, here are my three favorites, four favorites, four favorites. The first one is from Awakened S. Yes, that is their name. Another one bites the dust. This place used to be such a cozy spot to hang, eat, get jazzed with some hyped up tea. Not so much anymore. With some hyped up tea? Hyped up tea. Today I entered the shop to find a dark brown, oppressive vibe. Excuse me. Bless you. No longer were there comfy, well-worn couches. No longer were there little nooks to cozy up in. No longer was the high counter there to provide me with a little private hiding spot. Nope. Now we are all in hard chairs with a low counter to display all who hang there. It's dark and cold. Brown. Charles Dickens, relax. Grays. <laughs> ugly. This is my last visit to this Starbucks Say goodbye to the friendly neighborhood vibe. Say goodbye to the cozy place to enjoy tea and tap away on the lappy top. Yes, she said lappy top. Say goodbye to the impromptu Scrabble games with open-minded neighbors. When did that happen? Say goodbye, (laughs) frowny face. (laughs) It's not Central Perk. No. (laughs) I've lived here for two years and never were there comfy. It's a a fucking Starbucks. Would you like to join my Scrabble game, love? She's acting like... (laughs) The neighborhood <laughs> coffee bar was taken over by Starbucks. You know? Yeah. No, this has always been a Starbucks, y'all. Um, okay, so next one is from... What was her name? Her name was Awakened S. Of uh, course yeah. it was. Yeah. Julia S. says, Although this is the most convenient Starbucks for me, I try not going back. It's a good atmosphere with Wi-Fi and plenty of chatty patrons. Sitting outside is the thing to do. Moreover, the baristas are pretty good at getting your drink right and quick to you. My main concern is that the baristas only work at that location so they can get connections from a job in the entertainment slash acting slash dance, whatever. I've been going there nearly every day, a parenthetical, I love coffee, for three and a half years, and you would think they'd remember my name. (sighs) Nope. Not even if you give them a $1 tip on a $3 drink. So I changed Starbucks, and for three months now, I go to the one on Beverly Drive. And who would have guessed? Not only do they remember my drink and my snack, they remember my name. May I also add that during college, I was a barista in Santa Monica, and my regulars expected the same courtesies? First of all, bitch, if you're going to any service industry in Los Angeles, everybody's trying to get their foot in, into the entertainment right. industry. As are probably you, my Absolutely. Dear, which is probably why you're pissed that they don't remember your name. Yeah, because <laughs> you just want somebody to remember your name. Right. Um, and when I've been going there, they're all fucking college students. I don't even... Th- it's not a bunch of... So they're just absent-minded. They're not necessarily... Yeah. Right? And maybe if you did more than a dollar on a $3 coffee, they'd remember your name. Or maybe if you were friendly and remembered their names. Because that's the thing about that complex is that it is baller central. Yes. Like we know that there's a lot of like millionaires that go up there and they probably do tip like three bucks on a $3 coffee. And mm-hmm. you're probably like, no, but I'm, I know I love this idea that everyone has to remember your name like at, at Starbucks or whatever. And when they do, it's great. I'm like jealous of people that like they Absolutely. know and they know your drink. That's so cool. That's not a given. That's not a given. That's not part of their job description. They get your drink right and they get it out promptly. Right. Right. That's all you need. And I would also say like it isn't just about money. Money's going to help. But maybe if you went in there and you With found a, a way to be charming and you and said, hi, Dan, a- how yeah. are you today? Yeah. Then they would be like, Nancy. Say that. Yeah. Know their name. Yep. Bitch. Don't you want to go where everybody knows your name? Well, be nice. Yeah. Know their name and they'll know yours. Yes. Maybe. And if not, go to the Beverly one. <laughs> they know you're drinking your snack. <laughs> so T.E. says, 
I was told that this was the place to see celebrities during the day in LA. Did I see anyone famous? Not a sausage. <laughs> not a review. Instead, all I got was crappy coffee and nowhere to sit because the whole place was full of wannabe screenwriters posing with their white MacBooks, pretending to write something deep whilst actually just rehashing another diehard. Actual overheard conversation. Quote, any progress with that script you showed me last year? Yeah, things are really hot and uh, that... <laughs> Yeah, things are really hot on that. Danny says he's not interested, but he's going to see if James Woods wants to read it. Wow, James Woods. Please, period. I'll give you, her that one. <laughs> that is stupid. But also, <laughs> yeah. you're the one trying to be there seeing famous people, right. and then you're making fun of other people that are talking about famous people. And that's like, I'll, I, I, I hear the James Woods thing, and I think I would say that to like a friend and be like, by the way, look what I overheard in exactly. Starbucks. And it's, it's not part of a review. There's no, nothing, you're not reviewing a, anything. And there was here. a one star review for a Starbucks. You can't review the patrons. If you could, then, I mean, that's true. I think that has existed and then got taken down because people are so cruel. A patron review site? Like a person review site. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. P- speaking of people in the like Beverly. That, um, that Black Mirror episode. Yes. Oh, God. That's coming back soon. I can't wait. I think it might be next month. Ooh. Yeah. Mark my calendar. And last but not least, (sighs) Sarah F. writes, plus two whole stars for scenery and people watching, minus three stars for sassy pants mofos. My exchange at this Starbucks sounded like this. Me. Can I get two waters, please? Starbucks guy number one. Uh, He can help you. Me. Can I get two waters, please? Starbucks guy number two. I'll be with you in a minute. Five whole minutes later, I leave to go sit outside because I don't think anyone's heard me. Me. 15 minutes later. Hi, can I get two waters, please? Starbucks guy one. Your waters were sitting there for 20 minutes. I just threw them out. Me. Oh, well, can I get two waters, please? Starbucks guy number one. What kind do you want? Me. There's a kind? Starbucks Starbucks guy number one. Ugh, what size do you want? And so on. It should also be noted that Starbucks guy number one was wearing bling. Like a lot of circa 2000 sold in the mall kiosk bling. Fiend. How much you want to bet, and maybe I missed this, but she did not wait in line for these waters. No. She went right to the pickup section because she thought, oh, I'm just getting water. Here's what. Water is a drink. If you want it, wait in line. You don't get to go up to the end and just like bother them when they're in the middle of making other drinks. And how are you going to say that you went outside because you didn't think anybody heard you and then you went back in and asked for waters again? And got irritated that they had thrown them out. And you sat out there for 15 minutes probably without any drinks from Starbucks. She's not bright. No, but she's bright enough to write fiend at the end. Go fuck yourself, Sarah F. Go fuck yourself. You're the problem. You're the problem. Good. Wow. Good stuff. Mm -hmm. Sometimes that's where the best... Uh, stuff can be found is in chains because that's where really people like, again, if you're going to bitch about a chain, speak about a specific thing that happened at that chain, not the broad chain. Like that's one specific place. You you can't talk about Starbucks in general when you're reviewing one Starbucks. Yes. It doesn't work that way. So good fodder. Thank you. Um, Well, speaking of just going to big broad places, I'll do my troll patrol, which you know what I haven't talked about in a while? What's that? My Coles. Oh, <laughs> always down for some Coles chat. So um, I was thinking, why haven't I troll patrolled Coles yet? At least I don't think Cole I patrol? I think I troll patrol Coles is what I said. Play I know, back. but it should be a coal patrol. Oh, a coal patrol. Yeah. Oh, I thought you were like. No, it was a pun. A coal. I was being punny. No, it's perfect. It's a coal patrol. This is a coal patrol. Yeah. All right, new segment, guys. Coal, coal patrol. patrol. <laughs> oh, shut up. <laughs> um, so what happened, though, is that I was digging through California troll, California coal. Oh, now I Yelps. really fucked you yeah, up. Yeah, you did. Um, California coals on Yelp. And uh, there was some good stuff, but what, what happened was it ended up opening a wormhole on a one Yelper. Oh, I love that. It, it's... Incredible. I love it. So it comes from Trudy L., who was reviewing the Alhambra uh, coals. And I struggle with this a little bit. I struggle with this a little bit because um, I feel like I do not want this to be taken or interpreted as an attack on people who do not speak English well. Okay. And that's hard sometimes because it, it can sound like that. Right. But I think once you hear these reviews, you will hopefully understand that this is not a question about her English. This is still some deep-rooted, poetic Ooh, trolling. I can't um, wait. 
Um, and I have a ton of them, so I'm going to try to just only do like the best lines from each one. But it starts at Kohl's, where Trudy L. says, I asked, where's customer service? Because there's no sign saying where to go after I walked in. Now, I'm also going to read these as written as we do. Of course. Which will be a little challenging, but this is how they're written. She only pointed finger, no words out of her mouth. I asked her, no English? She answered, yes. How can I get service where I'm in a hurry? Closed shops will lose business because online customers don't ask store clerks to tell them where the restroom is located. Will I feel welcomed if clerks don't direct me efficiently and there's no sign to guide me when my bladder is about to explode? She has for customer service, though. So that's just the Coles. And it's a very, like, yeah, it's a little weird. Yes, online customers do not ask store clerks where, to ba- where the restroom is because they're home and they know where their bathroom is. But that's just the tip of the iceberg with oh, Trudy wait. L. Um, let's go to um, Loha's Fresh Mart. By the way, she's got 31 pages of Yelp reviews. Stop it. And I barely got to the fifth page. Holy shit. She is. So in regards to Loha's Fresh Mart, she said... I took my out-of-town in-law there after bragged about how tasty their cold noodles was. Loha meaning aloha without the A? Threaded cucumber stripes were tasted as they were soaked in water for a long time. Couldn't swallow it. I lost my face. (laughs) I want there to be an interpretive dance. Yes. Thank you for understanding. Yes. I like I feel like these are poems. <laughs> yes. So okay. And I, I completely see the move of lost my face mm-hmm. and then somebody comes behind her and replaces her face and yeah, definitely like a modern dance a tour. So you should snap for however much you like these, I want to, you can recognize them in snaps. How's that sound? Got it. Okay. Claim jumper. I returned after 15 plus years to see if their claim chowder is still fresh and to recall my happy memory there. Two homeless, one male and one female welcome me by smiles. No one wore name badges, so Linda gave her regular customer a clear drink cup, which won my verbal compliment after that female customer told me she always came here to get salad bar. Linda later suggested me to get beef or chicken sliders. I told Linda she may decide which one I get. Manager Alondra walked by Linda inside bar and touched her, so Linda made a, no- Linda made a noise oh, I couldn't help but notice. He later explained that he only joked with Linda, Linda to make sure she's awake. Did this restaurant fail my expectations? Well, I'll return when my mosquito bite is healed, thanks to their dirtiness. <laughs> that went so many unexpected snap directions. Snap for it. Snap for it. <laughs> snap, 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 snap. I don't think you're going to be able to hear my snap, okay. so I'll just say it. All right. Kabuki Japanese restaurant. Oh, God. Short staff, but lots of sushi chefs. So I was able to get foods in less than five minutes after I ordered. Much newer than other kabuki branches I've been. The bad thing is, why do I need to mention that I've been to other branches in order to get foods quickly? Couldn't they read my body language? What? (laughs) What is the body language that I've been to other branches of this restaurant? Courtyard by Marriott, San Diego, Gas Slam Convention Center. If you're young, can drop dead after beer, sleep a few hours, then get up and be a live dragon. Do come here to stay. New Live dragon. (laughs) (laughs) New hotels have all new stuff, plus new staff who's not experienced, and guests will need to be trainers. Could I laugh about my stupidity staying there for four nights? I guess I have to. Severe headache from sleeping in a toxic room isn't easy, plus sneezing. It was the first time happened to me because we stayed numerous times at Marriott Hotels. That's all I have to say. New hotels, made open door without listening to our yelling and didn't wait for me to jump out of bed to stop her sudden move. Too tired to write more. I, I, there are no words. This is short and sweet. The Oyster Bar, SKC. Order two drinks, 10 oyster, and a bowl of clam chowder. God, she loved clam chowder. <laughs> Nothing was delivered till five minutes later. Uh, <laughs> that's okay. What? Mario's Mexican. <laughs> this is one of my favorites. Bartender was attentive, but there are not many big screens. Taco Tuesday didn't have fish, so I couldn't order more foods there. Bob Ryan looked like President Carter, so I stayed for two drinks. Happy hours from 11 a.m. to 7 p.m. were convenient for home office people or odd hours workers. 
Bob Ryan. I don't know who Bob Ryan is. But well, I'm, I have a feeling maybe he works there. <laughs> I guessed who the owner was and was confirmed by the hard workers busy clicking those oysters. Robert confirmed my guess about the owner, so I complimented him, who was obviously connected to the owner, but acted like my compliment meant nothing. <laughs> Wait, are Bob and Robert the same person? <laughs> she is. Oh, she's a mystery, and I love her. Here's some insights into who she might be. Ready? Mm-hmm. Rock and Brews, Buena Park. Bartender Jessica was friendly and attentive. My french fries had lots of garlic, and I couldn't believe it's only $3. Who can ask for more when one only wants a break from one's hubby? (laughs) (gasps) Oh, no. (laughs) I mean, if you want a break from your husband, garlicky fries. I think you can ask for more than garlicky fries. And the two of my favorites, this one is at Chili's. Gotta love a Chili's review. My server, Megan, was nice to me. My foods were delivered quickly and beer, too. My plenty card was keyed after she entered my check info. Customers talked more than customers of other chilies. (laughs) The only thing abnormal is their system wasn't normal. Oh, no. Well, I hate it when an abnormal, a normal system is abnormal, and that's the abnormal thing, abnormal. Kitchen runner came out to deliver flatbread and returned to kitchen after he asked four customers out of 15 at the bar. The customer on my right side heard my suggestion but he didn't ask servers at the bar about his flatbread order 20 minutes ago. Oh, well, Taiwanese old saying, their emperor's son who couldn't become an emperor. Okay. (laughs) I don't know what that means. And last but not least, McDonald's. Oh, God. I'm so happy she reviewed a McDonald's. And this is honestly a five out of 30 pages. I might have to come back at some point. Yeah, I feel like we should revisit Judy. Judy, right? Trudy? Trudy. Yeah, I think it's Trudy. Let me make sure. Um, we should do like Tuesdays with Trudy. Trudy, Tuesdays with Trudy, Tuesdays with Trudy. All right. Um, McDonald's last but not least manager who has the safe codes wasn't there. So I could buy a cup of coffee from that female clerk who acted like a boss. However, I looked around Four customers were drinking coffee. Is that because we three Is that because we three female customers are not as popular or regular as those male customers? Their neighbors don't know this McDonald's exists. Whose responsibility? Returned to see Clerk Itzel and the manager on site, who took time to smile at me. Forgot to pick up my credit card while trying to memorize Clerk's name. What? A customer saw my card, so he gave it to the Clerk Itzel, who didn't bother to check if I was still here. Not even So want- she's seen all this <laughs> happening, and she's not, she doesn't say, that's my card. <laughs> not even wanted to provide service. All customers treated as family members, so they'll come back to visit. Wasn't that a golden rule? No, Trudy. Actually, the golden rule is not that customers are treated as family members. No. uh, When you're here, you're family. That's Olive Garden. You're at the wrong restaurant, You're at the wrong restaurant. You're at the wrong chain, Trudy. some of her lines are like metaphysical. They are. She forgot to pick up her credit card while trying to memorize the clerk's name. I feel like she floated out of her body and saw herself trying to memorize. And then a customer saw my card, so he gave it to the clerk who didn't bother to check if I was still here. But I'm, she's seen, yeah. I'm not still here. I've left the bill. I don't know. Are any of us still here? I don't That's know. That's the question, Trudy, Trudy. I think Trudy might know more than, I mean, like this, these might be like the clues to the universe yes. layered in these. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to really study and get the very Please best. Please do. And I'll break down. Hopefully. We need it distilled. Yeah. You know, right. we need it this to is be just the purest essence. This really is the tip of the Trudy iceberg. I'm going to do my um, reconnaissance mm-hmm. and uh, really come back with, I think, what will be like kind of like a, like the loss primer. You know, those people that really studied loss and were yeah. able to tell you like, oh, J.J. Abrams understood the sure. secrets of the universe. I think Trudy is telling us something. I think so, too. I think actually if we decode it, then we'll be able to get Trump out of office. So prepare for that. That'll be coming in the new year, everybody. Got it. Thank <laughs> you, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> Got it. Got it. Um, that was amazing. I'm obsessed with Trudy and... You, oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> the, the segment will be called Trudy Detective. Trudy Detective. Well done. Like True Detective? Yes. Oh, I got it. You got it? Okay. As it came out of my mouth, I was like, was it as brilliant as I thought? And it is. It's you like heard it here first, folks. True Detective. Yes! <laughs> <laughs> You have to say it like that, though. You have to go, true True detective. detective. (laughs) And for those of you at home, we're whooshing our arms together. Um, True true 
Oh, goddamn. And I'm going to find um, that theme song from the first season. Yes. And be like, yes. All her like best lines. And then just smoke behind guys, it. Buckle up for True Detective. True Detective. I can't say it without the arm movement. I just can't. True Detective. True Detective. All right, <laughs> okay. we'll move on. Or will we? Or will we always be here? We will. All, I mean, Time's a flat circle, so who yeah, knows? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay, so this is going. This is my very first pop culture. It's 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 scratch. I'm very excited. Pop culture, it's scratch. Um, and the reason for this being my first one, I believe, maybe when we were in Palm Springs together with Nini over your birthday week, I said that I was going. I would potentially do this because. Um, I reported some hashtag fake news to Paul and Nick, and I needed to rectify it. Uh, so my pop culture itch scratched is meatloafs. I would do anything for love. I'm here for it. So meatloafs, I would do anything for love, comes off of his, not second album, but second, bad, it's Bad Out of Hell 2. Um, where <laughs> Bad Out of Hell 2, Back Into Hell. That's the name of the album. Because of course it is. But he's out of hell and he's back into hell? But that bat is going back into hell. It's um, bat out of hell too, back into hell. Why didn't he just say back bat, into hell? Bat into hell. Is bat it, back into hell? Because there's something strange about the fact that the it's bat's an oxymoron. Out of hell too, and it's a definite hell. Yeah, it's a definite there's, oxymoron. Okay. We we have we have some notes meet, um, so I'd like to start with saying that um, Meatloaf's real name is Michael Lee Aday. Um, he got the name Meatloaf by a fucking cruel football coach in football in high school. Not in fo- <laughs> he is a football coach in football, yeah. but also in high school. Yeah. So he gave him that nickname because he was fat. Aww. Isn't that mean? And then he played More a like fat mean guy loaf. In, in in Fight Club. Yeah, Bob had bitch tits. Yeah. Um, Great role, though. Which means that he's clearly moved on from his fat shaming if he was able to accept that he role. He also lost a lot of weight. Yeah. Those 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 bitch tits were fake. Oh, they were? They were. They were prosthetic. I never knew that. Yeah. Look, see? All these little scratches. All That's these... the thing with an itch. Yeah, yeah it once you another, scratch it. One itch begets another scratch. You're going to keep scratching. Begets. So, um, here's the thing. I originally wanted to look into this because, of course, everybody want to know what that is. I would do anything for love, but I won't do that. Right. And what I had reported to Nick and Paul months ago was that the that that he wouldn't do <laughs> was pegging. <laughs> <laughs> and you can imagine our surprise upon hearing that pegging was even a thing that people talked about in the 1980s? When 1993. 1993. Um, so we didn't buy it. And I don't know where I heard it, <laughs> but I definitely heard it. So um, I don't think uh, when we were chatting that night, I admitted my that I was wrong. Well, we called you out and said, like, it an doesn't idiot. seem right. <laughs> yeah. And I Googled it and I couldn't find where I'd found it. So I was like, well, we'll look into yeah, it. Later. We'll cross that bridge later. And here we are. <laughs> here we are. So um, I'm going to the least interesting part of this song is what that means. Oh, truly. Okay. But, you know. I do know. All right. The confusion stems from a poor grammar choice in the songwriting. Hmm. Because that is everything that's said before I would do anything for love, but I won't do that in the song. Which, oh, my God. Wait, this is blowing my mind now, though. Which includes forget the way you feel right now. Forgive myself if we don't go all the way tonight. Do it better than I do with you. Stop dreaming of you every night of my life. Okay. If Jim Steinman, who wrote this song, would have simply said, I would do anything for love and, and I, won't I won't do, do that. And I, But the thing... Okay. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Continue. I'm going to let you go. But then, I'm, I mean... Then it would have been clearer that he was referring to the thing that had happened that he had said just prior to, I would do anything for love, but I won't do that. So the grammar nerd inside of me is screaming, but I, cause I don't know how to eloquently say I don't what either. I want to say right now, I but know. I'm mad. Yes. <laughs> and it's so funny because everybody in pop culture for years have been saying, nobody knows what meatloaf means by that. It could be anything. I looked on a message board. Someone was like, it's change. He'll he won't change. He knows that about himself. So he won't change. And that's what it is. Right. And if she can accept that, then they can be together. And that's so much more interesting. It is, but it's not that. No. Um, and apparently meatloaf 
both Meatloaf and Jim Steinman have spoken about this ad nauseum and have said that is all meant the stuff. All, all the stuff in the song. Okay, but I people just it. don't want to hear it because it's not it's not grammatically correct. Period. Exactly. Um, so let's see. Um, so in a 1993 promotional interview, Steinman states that the definition of that is fully revealed in the song in each of the several verses in which it's mentioned. And then he goes on to say, it's sort of, a, it sort of is a little puzzle and I guess it goes by, but they're all great things. I won't stop doing beautiful things and I won't do bad things. It's very noble. I'm very proud of that song because it's very much like out of the world of Excalibur. To me, it's like Sir Lancelot or something very noble and chivalrous. That's my favorite song on the record. It's very ambitious. Um, so it, it was answered in 1993, but, um, an early episode of pop-up video on VH1, um, it's a there's a claim at the end of the song's video, exactly what meatloaf won't do for love remains a mystery to this day on pop-up video. They said that good, which, but it's not true, but that's their interpretation of it. Sure. I guess that's why they're saying that they're calling out what we're calling out. Like this is still like. It's un. It's very unclear. But both Meatloaf and Jim Steinman. Just because they said it, the song is what we're listening yeah, that's to. True. They can't just. You can't just say like, oh, you know, Dancing Queen is about a bunch of aliens landing on Mars. Right. You didn't put that in the song. What you wrote in the song. I'm getting very upset. <laughs> so, well, to me, that was the the most boring. Bu- well, buckle up because to my me- blood pressure is not ready for this. Then. <laughs> so there is something more upsetting to me in this that has to do with this song. Tell me. And I want to start the hashtag, hashtag, you, justice for Mrs. Loud. Justice for Mrs. Loud. Because we're moving on from the that discussion. BT Dubs. We um, might have to sidebar that. There might be a separate episode still about that once I gather my thoughts. But we know. No. Okay. Move on. Anyway, we're moving on. <laughs> so, um, this was a hit song. It was the most popular song, I think, in the UK in 93. In the US, it hit 28 on the Billboard chart. So, it was like, it was a hit. That surprised me that it wasn't bigger than that. I agree, because it's such a classic song, and people, I feel like, you mentioned it today, and everybody knows it. Will you hose me down now with holy, holy water, water if I, I get, get too hot? Hot. hot. See? Um, so speaking of the woman who sings with you, that verse, right. um, she's credited on the album as Mrs. Loud. Mrs. Loud is actually a woman named Lorraine Crosby. And, uh, the sad, sad thing about her is that she recorded her vocals as what's called, um, guide vocals for the song. So basically they'll have, when they're, Pitching a song to a recording artist. Mm-hmm. Um, let me back up for a second. She she sent her demos to Jim Steinman when she was still living in the UK. Jim Steinman decided to be her manager and then got her um, signed to Meatloaf's label MCA at the time. This is in the early 90s. So he, was a, he was a songwriter producer. Jim Steinman is a huge songwriter producer. Okay. Um, Sounds like a piece of shit already. Well, and I, I, I don't know much about him, you know, and what his reputation is. Um, but he has written, he's been around since the 60s. He's written hu- huge, huge, huge okay. songs. Okay. Um, and he's also a big Broadway guy. So uh, he gets her signed to MCA. She goes to visit them on Sunset one day, the offices, and they ask her to uh, record the guide vocals, which is like what Meatloaf would then kind of follow when he records it, kind of helping him keep time and that kind of thing. Was it? Is it kind of like? I feel like it's it's like a demo, right? Or yeah. Not? Remember the so emotional like Prince version that yes. was recorded, kind yes. of like that. Okay. Exactly. So they had Lorraine record that, and it turned out so well that her version ended up on the record, mm-hmm. even though they had initially said that they were going to get. Melissa Etheridge, Cher, or Bonnie Tyler to sing it instead. Oh, my God. So this singer... That's fascinating. Yes. um, Lorraine records it, but because it was a guide vocal, she did not get royalties for it. Still does not get royalties for it. Did she get paid for it? She got paid, but But not not much. And How is that legal? I don't know. I mean, I mean, there must be... It's entertainment. Yeah. That's entertainment. Uh Ha-ha. Um, so she 
does not get money for the the song really, and she is credited as Mrs. Loud on the record on that song, but on the three other songs that she's backing vocals on, she's credited as Lorraine Crosby. So it's almost like they just didn't want to give her credit for it. Yeah. And then when he they was... found their easy way out. Because if you were going for Melissa, Cher, and Bonnie, right. all who would have taken a big chunk out of it. Absolutely. And you're like, oh, here's a thing we mm-hmm. could do. Well, I don't like this one bit. So even after that, you would think that they would say, well, Lorraine recorded it. It was her voice. So she'll, she'll perform it live with me when he performs it. Oh, no. Patty Russo did that. So Lorraine has nothing to do with this song after it's recorded. And we probably remember the music video. I was just going to say. Beauty and the Beast themed. It is not her. It's a woman named Dana Patrick. Not to be confused with Danica Patrick. Go daddy. Oh, Danica Patrick. That's all I think of now. Like that's the. No, we're not going. We're not not talking about Danica Patrick. There's too many things. (laughs) So Dana Patrick was a model who... um, was cast by Michael Bay, who was the video director. Oh, that's right. This is getting problematic. Yes. So I looked up Lorraine Crosby um, from back in the day, and she's beautiful. It's she's gorgeous. It's not like they had to. I mean, regardless, you should cast the person who sings it and not a model to lip sync it. Right. But in part my of opinion, me thinks that they're burying the secret. Could be. I mean, it's it's very if weird they, well, how it's been I, it's treated. Not, it doesn't seem that big of a conspiracy at this point. If they were out for big female musicians, they end up settling on someone. It's like, how do we go, how do we keep hiding this? Right. And it's oh well, we'll put another woman in the video because like, well, you know, this was a this was a background singer or something to that extent. Mm-hmm. And yeah, this is very shady. Very shady. So Dana was the be- quote unquote beauty role in um, in the video. Uh, I found an interview with her uh, by this this website called Noble Mania. Who knows if this interview is real, but why would they make it up about the woman who's in that video? Um, it was the first thing she's ever done. She said that Meatloaf was a family man and a true gentleman, which is nice to hear because everybody's a shithead these days. <laughs> um, she, they asked her, um, what was the hardest part of the shoot? This is the best. Michael Bay's outbursts. Yep which he did with everyone. However, he and I had to come to an understanding. I don't do well with a lot of screaming. He's actually quite sweet, just very passionate. Isn't it funny how a guy can scream and be called passionate, and if a woman did it, she would never work again? So, yeah, the woman who is... And Michael Bay hadn't even directed movies at this point, so can you imagine... What he's like now? Oh, my God. Total monster. Has to be. The woman who ended up playing the beauty role, she's beautiful. It's like... She's the template for everybody trying to get the Kylie Jenner face now. Just like gorgeous, but in 1993. So probably mostly natural, you think. One last fun fact about it was that the original length of the song is 12 minutes long. Oh, that's a song that does not need to be longer. No. It's a great song, but it's... It's fine. Yeah. So um, the record label, everybody told Jim Steinman, you have to cut it down because nobody's going to play something longer than five minutes on the radio. And Jim Steinman did not want to cut it down. So um, he gave them a decoy length that was like five minutes and 32 seconds or something and said that that's what the radio version would be. And then he sent the 12-minute version to the radios. Wow. Yeah. Jim Steinman gives no fuck. No, he's got some cojones. Yeah, some chutzpah. Oof. Yeah. So that is the behind the music of Meatloaf's I Would Do Anything for I Love. It's could, a pop like, culture It'd be scratch. really fun to be able to like track her down now and get an interview with her. I agree. Maybe we can do that. Maybe we can find her. Lorraine Crosby, hashtag. So she was credited as Mrs. Loud because that was a name she went by um, in I her early career. I wonder if she still sings. If we she can, like, performs anywhere. We'll try to find some of her music. You guys, we're going to try to find Lorraine. Mrs. Loud. Mrs. Loud. Um, so too bad. But, too, too bad. But so maybe sad. this will be the resurgence of her career. Yeah, it's the ser- maybe this will our, be the this hashtag justice for, for Sugarman slash um, fifty feet from stardom. Yeah, we can do. I don't think it's fifty work. feet from stardom. It's, it's enough it's feet. Five feet from stardom. It's not. Fi- it's definitely not five feet. Um, I might be twenty. Maybe twenty. Let's see. I think it's twenty. I think we'll go faster. <laughs> yeah, not, twenty. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. See, meet in the middle. 50 feet that's a, five can, feet can you imagine back up five backup singers that are just like on shoulder? the back of the stage 
in the shadows. It makes more sense than five feet. Uh, not really. Five feet away from the lead singer. Yeah, sure. Just I feel like Kelly Clarkson would have her ladies five feet from her. All right. That was awesome. Thank you. Thank you for that. Of course. Well researched and deep dive into. Too long didn't read. It, that is not pegging. <laughs> That's not pegging. That's not pegging. <laughs> so we know that. Um, well, great. Awesome. I also went into music for mine. Awesome. Because this Thursday, November 30th, is the 25-year anniversary of the release of Thriller, the album. Oh, I see you. You see me? Mm-hmm. And a lot has been said about Thriller at this point. But uh, if you, even if you know some Thriller stuff, stay with me because I think I'm going to have a few things that you might not know. How much okay. do you know about Thriller? I wouldn't say I have a wealth of knowledge. Rolling Stone did like a great article about it um, maybe a year or so ago that really like profiles everything about it. But Why did they do it a year ago? I don't know. Maybe it was even longer, but they did it a while ago. Um, and it, it had some surprising stuff. But regardless, uh, this is... Uh, it's It's... When you look back at the impact that Thriller has, it's undeniably probably the greatest album of all time in terms of impact. Right. And if you don't think that, let me tell you why it is. Um, so starting at the beginning, we'll start with just the making of the album itself. Now, Jackson said when he started to frame the album, and at this point he was still a relatively new solo artist. He had mm-hmm. done Off the Wall, but... Uh, he was still touring with the Jackson Five as like the sort of. Oh, like, I didn't know that. Yeah, he would do. They did like the reunion tour, and um, he would show up as like the face of it, and everyone was there to see him. Right. But it was also like cloaked under the Jackson Five. Yeah. Um, but he, with this album, you could tell that this was the one that was going to make him a star, come hell or high water. Um, he said that his inspiration for the album, oddly enough, was Tchaikovsky's Nutcracker Suite because every song was a killer. Which I think is adorable. That's adorable. Um, oh, he loves Tchaikovsky so much. And he said his dream was for it to be the biggest selling album ever. So job well done. Yeah. It is the biggest selling album of all time with 66 million albums sold worldwide. Holy shit. Um, second coming in like millions of albums behind it. I think like over 40 million albums less is ACDC Back in Black. Are you serious? Yeah. Wow. So no one will ever come close to this album again, especially in the climate that we're in. Yeah. And I found uh, a couple different um, anthologies about people sort of talking about the album making process. So I'm going to quote a few people here because they can say it better than I can. But um, Bruce Sweden, who was an engineer on the project, said that when Quincy, Quincy Jones and Michael were envisioning the project, Quincy told them, OK, guys, we're here to save the recording industry. Wow. And this was 25 years ago where the recording industry is in a much better place yeah, than it is now. much better than But now. just knowing that that is where their heads were when they came up with this album and they did it. Yeah. It's pretty amazing. Um, Quincy also talked about um, Billie Jean. And according to him, he said that it was about a girl who climbed over Michael Jackson's wall. Um, and Michael woke up one morning and she was laying out by the pool, just lounging out by the pool. Um, and she accused him of being the father of... Uh, one of her twin children. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I thought that was really fascinating. Um, And he said that with Billie Jean, he envisioned it and he said that the intro was too long. And Quincy was like, you've got to cut this down. And Michael said that that's the jelly. That's what makes me want to dance. And that's what like Michael called like the sort of like whatever that is behind the song, the jelly. Let me correct you. That's the jelly. That's the jelly. <laughs> well, wait till you hear what he also like used to sort of emphasize that. He said when he really liked to groove, he'd call it smell it jelly. <laughs> oh, Quincy, that's smell it jelly. That jelly is smelly. Oh, my God. Now, you could maybe elaborate the other smelly jelly that cursed Michael in the future. But okay. All right. Um, we'll get to that. Um And uh, Quincy also, when he came to sort of crafting this album, said that there's this sound that he's got in his head that he wanted to really put into the album. He said it's this underground, there's an underground new artist that nobody's ever really heard of, but he's great, he's hot, and he's got this great song. And he pulls out the album, and it was Prince's 1999. I was going to say, must be. And he said, you know the opening sound on that, which is... Dun, 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 yeah. dun, dun. Well, that ended up being what influenced the big chord that opens... 
Thriller. Oh, oh shit. So you can hear how like yeah. 1999 influenced Thriller. It's so weird to think of a time that Prince was an underground artist. Right. Yeah. And wasn't Prince always an underground artist though? Like even in his most popular sense, like wasn't he always like, oh, I'm hip. Let me destroy it right now. Pretty much. Which but is he, what made him amazing. Yes. Yeah. Anytime you'd have a monster, I feel like he'd be like, oh, I hate you. Yeah. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> I'm um, going back to Minneapolis. And just since we're on the topic of sound engineering, Bruce Cannon, who was responsible for sound effects on the album, because they had a sound effects person on the album. Of course. Um, was also an assistant editor on E.T. And um, Spielberg and Kathy Kennedy, while he was working on Thriller, reached out to him and said, like, oh, we are looking for someone to record the E.T. storybook record. Okay? Okay. They're doing, like, an adaptation around the same time. Right which was also happened to be produced by Quincy Jones. Um, and so they pitched the idea of Michael recording E.T. And Michael, of course, being a grown-up nine-year-old, was like, I want to do that. So Michael Jackson recorded a 30-minute uh, like retelling of E.T. And I'm Seriously? Gonna, yeah, and I'm going to play you a little bit of it right now because what's amazing is that the guy came... And this is all around the same time as Thriller, and it ended up biting him in the butt a little bit because they released it right before Thriller, and the record label was like... You're taking steam away from us. Like, do not put this out. But everyone won, so it's all good. But the guy, Bruce Cannon, says that um, Michael narrated, and at times he almost broke into tears <sighs> telling E.T.'s story. Oh, my God. So let me just play you a little bit. Will you pause it real yeah. quick? We made it! That's what they thought. In came the roadblock. Cars and men. Police and guns. The net closed once more. E.T. and his friends had run out of time. And up they went. E.T. and his pals. Up over the roadblock. Up into the sky. Wheeling over the rooftops. Sailing over the valleys. Higher and higher. (laughs) Flying in the sky. E.T. and his pals. He's giving so much of himself into so just excited. the narration. And like you're, you hear that voice and you're like, God, there was a time when Michael was still a happy person. Yeah. And he got so, you could tell he was getting so much joy from that. Yeah. Um, I really hope he didn't molest children. Well, we'll get to that. Um, uh-huh. So uh, another fun fact about just the making of the album, Eddie Van Halen was a soloist on um, Beat It. He's really? the one playing guitar. Wow. And he recorded it while the rest of the band was out of town because he said, who's going to know if I play on this kid's record? Like he thought <gasps> he was just going to get away with it and make some money off it. Turns out it ends up being Thriller. Damn. And then the other amazing sound effect uh, note about this album is that um, on Billie Jean, when he goes, don't think twice, don't think yeah. twice, the second don't think twice, he's singing through a five foot long cardboard tube. Because of course, why Because not? of course. I mean, that's the thing. You use what you have. Yeah. And it sounds like it, how it sounds. So, And I'm sure he was so particular with exactly the sound that he wanted to get. And he's like, I think I'm going to use this five foot too. Guys, listen. <laughs> he, you know, he, someone just brought out some rotten paper and he was like, <laughs> you know, I'm like, going to sing through this. That works. Um, so now Thriller is released. Um, and again, it was November 30th. And, uh, no, of what year? 1982. It was in 82? 82. It was before I was born. You know what? I feel you're just rubbing it in. No, I'm really surprised because that was a formative album when I was young. Well, that's because it was so like, massive. Yeah, prolific. Um, so Thriller was released. And what you might not know, this is one of the mind blowing facts that like uh, the Rolling Stone article blew wide open, is that Thriller itself as a song was the seventh single. Off the album. Seriously? Number seven. So I'm going to back into how that happened. Yeah. But the first single was The Girl Is Mine. Do you mm-hmm. even know that song with Paul McCartney? Oh, yeah. Then that was Bi- before they hated each other. Oh, then before he stole all his music. Yeah, exactly. Um, then Billie Jean. Then Beat It. Then Wanna Be Starting Something. Then Human Nature, which I found out was based on, you know, Toto, Africa? Yeah. They, I guess the producers really liked Toto at the time, and Toto sent over two songs, which they were like, no. And they ended up, at the time, you would record over old tapes, Mm -hmm. as we all did. Yeah. And the next song that came on was another demo that they had done at some other time, and that ended up becoming Human Nature. They were like, what's this song? And they were like, oops, that's... Damn. So again, happy accidents. I don't even... I don't... The human nature is not ringing a bell. Oh, it's so good. Um, I'm trying to think of the part that you would know. Um, 
We'll come back to it. Well, I know it, but I'm trying to think of like... This human nature. Oh, yeah. Yeah, It's actually kind of like an outside-the-box song for him. PYT was number six. Thriller was number seven. That's crazy that PYT was before Thriller. Yeah. And the crux of like what made Thriller the massive hit that it was is sort of MTV. And obviously, like we know, we'll get to the music video. But... MTV throughout like 1986, while all this is happening, got a lot of allegations of racism, which I was not aware of. That oh. like they were a rock and roll network, they claim. So they were not playing black artists, despite the fact that black artists were becoming a huge part of the mainstream. Also, like, rock and roll would not exist without black artists. Right. Which is, Good yeah. point. Um, now, executives denied that it was ever racism and that there was just because they were, you know, rock. But um, it took a lot of prodding to make Billie Jean, like, to get the video on the network. And it, uh, so much so that um, the CBS Records group president at the time, Walter Yetnikoff, remember his name, he will come back, uh, uh, reportedly threatened to remove all of their label's videos unless they started playing Billie Jean. Good for him. MTV denies that that happened if they started playing it oh, the minute that whatever. it got, like, sent. But um, if you were to believe that, Billie Jean was the first step in getting Thriller to be, like, made. So let's get to Thriller, the video itself, because it is amazing. So at this point, we have six singles in, and it's a little bit of like Law of Diminishing Returns, where each single's doing fine, but the album seems to have lost its steam. And everyone's like, I mean, it's selling huge. Everyone's like really, really happy about it. But the album was released in 1981, but now we're talking about 1986 because of the no, MTV. Sorry, I, I said throughout 1980. Like even after Billie oh, Jean, it okay. still didn't end necessarily. Michael Jackson broke through, but Got doesn't it. mean that like black artists were okay. like Sugar Hill Gang was not also being spun in the same amount as right. Michael was. So this is 1984, though, at this point. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we are two years later, um, and he and Michael has seen uh, John Landis's film, An American Werewolf in London. So he reaches out to John Landis and says, I would like to make a music video with you. And John Landis responds, no thanks, because <sighs> at that point, music videos were not. Right, they're not It was the... a pre-thriller yeah. era. So they, he's like, he saw them as commercials. He didn't really want to make it. Um, but Michael persisted, like that's what he wanted. And that's what you can see that when Michael, <laughs> whenever his, whatever you say one about Michael, he got what he wanted for yeah. his career. He was very driven yep. to get his vision made. Yeah. So he finally got through to John Landis. Uh, John Landis reached out to Rick Baker, who is a hugely famous makeup artist and told Rick, Michael wants to become a monster. <laughs> And uh, John Landis came out and also said that I thought about it and my intention was to exploit Michael's unbelievable celebrity and make a theatrical short and just like finally like leaned into it. Um, But to that end, he's like, I'm going to ask for the world. So he wanted it to be union. And at that time, music videos were all non-union. I feel like they still are mostly non-union. Yeah. Yeah. Um, He wanted it to all the dancers had to have 10 days of rehearsal, which was never done before. And the price tag came to five hundred thousand dollars. Now, in nineteen eighty four, five hundred thousand dollars is like probably shit five money, million yeah. now, if not more. So he gives Michael is like, "This is what I'm going to need to make this video." And Michael Jackson, being Michael Jackson, calls Walter Yetnikoff, who is the head of CBS, and he talks to him on the phone. And is like, "I want to make this video. I need he, all this money. He's going to take five hundred thousand dollars." And then he hands the phone. He's like, "Oh, Michael, I mean, Walter wants to talk to you." And hands the phone to John Landis. And John Landis says, he answers, and it was a blast of flaming, you motherfucker, what the fuck's the matter with you? <laughs> he said, it's the one conversation I ever had with Walter Yetnikoff. You know, in those movies where they hold the phone away, it was like that. That's he was amazing. Screaming. But the essence of what Yetnikoff was saying was that the album already was a huge success. It's number one. And like, it's selling respectably. And he says, fuck your video and fuck you. And then he hands the phone back to Michael. And Michael hangs up. And Michael says, okay, I'll pay for it. No, yeah. really? Michael's like, fine. If that's what they say, I'm going to pay for it. And in that moment, John Landis sort of sees like Michael's passion, I think, and goes, Michael, you know, you can't spend your own money on this. Let's figure out another way. So they brainstorm and they decide they're going to pitch Thriller, not as a music video, but as a documentary about the making of Thriller, which they will then sell to M- Because MTV's whole policy is that they, because MTV, you would say, well, can you guys pay for this? They don't pay for music videos. Right. But they'll pay for a documentary. Okay. So they convince Showtime to have the first window, MTV to have the second window. They each, I think I've read uh, accounts that differ here, but essentially they split the cost, so 250000 each, mm-hmm. and they essentially fund the video by funding the documentary. That's so smart. It's brilliant. 
So they start making the video, and it is exactly what they need. And so they take, it's like plenty of time to shoot the thing. And it sounds like, man, to be a fly on the wall of this shoot. Like people were saying that Michael would get phone calls during the shoot from Fred Astaire. Walt Disney's son would call him every so often. Henry Kissinger called. What? President Reagan called. What? And then this is, someone said, my favorite moment was that they're, you know, shooting this, a graveyard shoot in a meatpacking plant in East LA in a bad neighborhood. And it's three o'clock in the morning. And one of the assistants like goes up to his trailer to like check in on him. And Jackie Onassis is in there with him. Shut the fuck up. And here's the other thing. Jackie Onassis edited Michael Jackson's memoir. Are you serious? My mind, like my mind's already exploded so much throughout this. I read that and I was like, first of all, Jackie Onassis was a book editor. I had no idea. Post uh, John F. Kennedy's death, she went back to work and she became a book editor. Good for, for her. Double Day Books. Wow. And part of her like post uh, pres- first wife career was securing a book deal with Michael Jackson based on courting him. Like not just like, oh, just because we're friends. Like she really spent time courting Michael Jackson because she's like, this memoir is going to be worth a ton of money. And um, she hired a ghostwriter named Stephen Davis, who spoke a little bit about the book, which I didn't even know existed, called Moonwalk. Um, they Anasis paid Jackson $300,000 in advance for the book. And uh, Stephen Davis got a good chunk, too. Um, Stephen Davis out has said that the book was very mean. He had written uh, Led Zeppelin's book, which mm-hmm. was like loaded with like threesomes and right. orgy, like crazy stuff. Um, threesomes and orgies. <laughs> Well, I mean, a threesome. You a threesome, could argue, yes. I feel like an orgy is three plus. <laughs> no, like, yeah, more yeah. than three. Yeah. Um, but he said that the book was very meat and potatoes, essentially like Diana Ross discovered us. They went to Motown, Barry Gordy. I was I, in the whiz. I said the story of E.T. one yeah, time. It was a really crazy life. But the major scoop, like the official scoop, was that this is the first time Jackson came out and said that his father had beaten him. Oh. Um. And the thing that's even crazier, though, is that I guess during this, that there was a throwaway comment in the book that um, and Davis said in an interview that he doesn't even remember if it made it into the book or not. But this is like the thing that stuck out to him was that Jackson recounted how he and his older brothers would squeeze into a pair of hotel beds while on the road as youngsters, quote, and that's how I feel best about going to sleep to this day. So it's not mm. something that like we didn't know, but coming from like his mouth, essentially like right. saying, yeah, he likes to go to bed and sleep with young boys, boys. to this day. Um, it's, it's not great. And he said that like there was when he was working on the book, this is again, the, uh, the ghostwriter, he said he was at, he was with Michael Jackson a lot and there was always a preteen boy in the home with him. And um, he said it was like his ward. It was like Batman and Robin. He was a very nice kid. There were several, several of them. They all looked like Macaulay Culkin. Macaulay, they all looked like Macaulay Culkin. And then they became Macaulay Culkin, who you may remember was called to testify at the trial. It's like we never are going to get a concrete answer. Right. But these little things don't do great in the It's so post-mortem. interesting, though, because Macaulay Culkin said that nothing ever happened. And so does Corey um, Feldman. He says that nothing ever ever happened with Michael Jackson. And then Wade Robson has come out and since changed his story. And said that something did happen? He said that recently he's changed his story. And oh, I didn't did know happen. that. But, like, I, 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 it's so hard to talk about anymore. Yeah. It, he's dead. It was all inappropriate. But anyway, yeah. I'm sidestepping. Let's get back to Thriller. Um, the music video, uh, the costume designer, her, who is Deborah Landis, mm-hmm. John's wife, um, said that when she was trying to make the costumes uh, make sense, which, as you remember, is that incredible, iconic red, red jacket, jacket, that you are doing something in a graveyard setting, which is dark and foggy, so Michael needed to pop. Makes a lot of sense to yeah. put him in a red jacket. She also says that he is a 99-pound man, 5'6", 5'7". So she oh, I gave, didn't know he was that short. I didn't either. Or that, like, thin. Yeah. I knew he was pretty thin. But and so that's where the shoulders came from. 
Um, and then the red jeans and the trademark white socks and black shoes. So and he didn't wear the white socks and black shoes before the Thriller. I guess she claims it. And who knows? I mean, Although she might, I, I think in Billie Jean, he's wearing a black shoe and a white sock. Is it, I think you might be I'm right. I'm pretty sure. But regardless, she created this. The red is still what makes that mm-hmm. thing. Um, and she says that she can look at her career and know that she not only designed the Thriller look, but she is responsible for Indiana Jones. And she says that's the fabric of our culture. And the leather jacket went for $1.8 million at an auction uh, in 2011. There were two of them, and one of them sold. One of them Jesus. is still with the estate. Actually, I'm sorry. I'm looking here mm-hmm. to Billie Jean, and it's a white shoe with a white sock. Oh. So Actually, yeah. It's a white shoe with a tan sock. Huh. And like a, a black patent leather um, so, tuxedo. So, Deborah, that's yours. Yeah. Um. And so we get to the video. The video's done. Everyone's super excited about it. Everyone's kind of still like, we don't know why we did this, but it's going to be awesome. There's an opening title card, which I'm sure you may or may not yes. remember due to my personal convictions. I wish to stress that this film in no way endorses a belief in the occult. It was there because uh, Michael Jackson was a Jehovah's, Jehovah's Witness. Witness. Um, so much so that uh, there's an account that while they were recording Thriller, a woman walked by uh, the recording studio and there was a two-way mirror, or I'm sorry, one-way mirror that faced the street and she just pulled up her dress and flashed her, she was naked completely, and Michael Jackson, <laughs> obviously, dove behind the uh, recording board because he didn't want to see the nudity. Such a fascinating yeah. person. So they had a premiere for Thriller. And John Landis says that he's been to the Oscars, he's been to the BAFTAs, he's been to the Emmys, he's been to the Golden Globes, and I've never been anywhere like this. He said Diana Ross was there, Warren Beatty, Prince was there. It was nuts. It got a standing ovation. Everyone's yelling, encore. Why is there no fucking encore? And Eddie Murphy jumps up and says, show the goddamn thing again. So they sat and watched Thriller again. Wow. Um, At the height of the song's popularity... MTV, it was 14 minutes. MTV would run it twice an hour. And after it come, came out, now this is an album that up to this point, the CBS says, we got everything that we need to get out of this album. Move along. After the video comes out, they tripled sales. Holy shit. Sending it to its certified worldwide tally of 55 million sales, which I think is probably just domestic because it's 60 something worldwide. Right. Um, Insane. And then the kicker is that, like, if that wasn't enough for music, someone named Austin First, who ran a company called Vestron Video, said that they want to put it out on VHS. And everyone at that point, VHS videos, like, it was still a rental business. Yeah. And videos cost anywhere from $90 to $100 because they didn't want anyone to buy them. Obviously, they wanted them to rent them. Mm -hmm. And Austin First said, no, no, no. Let's charge $24.95. And everyone was like, who is going to buy this? Ends up, they ship a million of them. They sell like gangbusters. And it starts home video sales. Wow. Home video sales can be traced back to Thriller. Even like, not just music, home video sales. That's so fascinating. And one last fun story that I have to share is, it's hilarious to me. So um, Marty Thomas, who was someone on the crew of the set, um, said that Michael Jackson said, uh, on the set of Thriller, no flash photos. I'm very sensitive to light. And they all were like, okay, darling, like what's going to happen to you? <laughs> so at one point he comes out and he's got this bodyguard walking with him and, and somebody flashes a shot of him. And he says, you might as well have hit him with a whip. <laughs> Stop. He cowers to the ground and says, that was just right in my eye. And he's leaning on the bodyguard, and the guard is holding him up because he looks like he's about to fall over into a pile and melt. angel baby. And he's saying, oh, I just, I just. And he turns around, and they have to bring him back into his trailer. The trailer closes, and the entire crew bursts out into laughter. And he says, I just think he was really tired and punchy, and he didn't like that people were taking pictures of him on set. But I love this idea of someone taking a picture of Michael Jackson. Oh, I do declare. And he turns into the witch from The Wizard of Oz. (laughs) I'm melting. So that's Thriller. Oh, that was thrilling. I mean, you you can't not look at the impact it's had on every single aspect of the music industry. And yes, we could definitely talk ad nauseum about what he could have done. Right. But... um, I don't know. For today, let's celebrate the impact of a game changer in music. I don't know where we'd be today without it. And it's fucking thriller. Yeah. I mean, that's all you need to say. And interesting, interestingly enough, 
I don't think that I would do anything for love, but I won't do that would have existed Ooh, without Thriller. That's a full circle. It is. That's what we call, folks, a full circle. And with that, I think... I think we're good. I th- are you guys good? You're great. We you can't hear even, you. But we know. We feel it. Um, thank you so much for listening. Thank we hope you, you so enjoyed much. this episode. We'll do a few more of these in the future. Yeah. Um, we have some very more. We have some very. Oh boy. Very more. We have some very more fun things coming up before the end of the year. We have our year end wrap up with the best and worst, our best uh, flipped wigs, and our worst popped corks. And uh, so stay tuned and thank you for listening. We Continue love you. to rate and review. Um, if you want to send us anything, it's wigsandwise at gmail.com. Find us on Instagram. Find us on our website at wigsandwise.com as well. And uh, we'll, we'll see, see you in a week and a half. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye.